Hey everybody, Pastor Worth here. Welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you are new, welcome and thank you for joining us. If not, welcome back. Just a, a quick few calendar reminders today before we begin. The first of which is we are hosting a missionary update from Ethiopia with Craig and Allison Fowler tomorrow night, Monday, November 8th at 7 p.m. in our worship center. Uh, we would love it if you would please let us know you're coming by by shooting us a quick email at hello at westseattlechristian.church or filling out the quick and easy form uh, on our blog at westseattlechristianchurch slash blog slash Ethiopia, or you can just go to the blog and scroll down and find it. Second, for all you middle schoolers out there, our next middle school student gathering is Wednesday, November 17th at 6 p.m. Uh, downstairs in the youth room. Free dinner, games, a good time with friends. Remember, for a limited time, uh, and if you like free stuff, if you bring a friend to the gathering, you and your friend both receive a gift certificate. Next, if you've just discovered our church, we do things a bit differently. Most weeks we meet in homes at Kinfolk Group. Uh, and, and once a month we gather at our church campus right here at 4442nd Southwest in West Seattle. We are just one block east of Hotwire Coffee, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the Seattle, West Seattle Farmer's Market. Masks are required for uh, all of our gatherings, kinfolk groups, and our in-person worship gathering. At our kinfolk groups, we gather to pray, eat, we watch and discuss this message, and we share in communion together. Some of these groups meet at 10 a.m., others at 11, and one even meets in our social hall on campus here in West Seattle each week. Our next all-church in-person gathering in the worship center on our church campus is on Sunday, November 21st at 10 a.m. This is also the day of our next warm weather gear and coat drive for West Seattle Food Bank. Don't forget to go through your closet and bring some coats on November 21st. We hope to see you there. And last but not least, for all your folks watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help our channel out. Okay, today we're starting a brand new series called Growing in Christ. And I wanna tell you uh, first and foremost where it came from. Over the last few months, uh, one of the parts of my job is to routinely wrestle with the question of kind of like, okay, what comes next? And when I ask that question, I look at, at what's going well, what needs improvement uh, in the lives of the body of our church, of our church family. And one of the things I've noticed this last year is a pretty big uptick in the amount of conversations where people have told me that they don't feel like they know the basics of the Christian faith, that they don't know where to start and they don't know how to grow. And those are big, those are big concerns. So along with that, I often think about the future uh, and where... I'll be like 10, 15, 20 years down the road in terms of ministry. Beth and I were talking about this the other day and she said, when you look back at this time, like many years from now, what do you want to say you were able to help the church become like everyone in the church? What will you have taught them that's going to stick that they can take with them every day and use for their own spiritual growth for, throughout their lifetime? One of the things I think God is showing me is that we've done some good teaching the last couple of years, but one thing that was lacking was kind of direction and leadership. And what I mean by that is that it's not that we were leaderless, but that we didn't talk about where we're going enough, like where we're headed. And what that means is learning about actually doing mission. And to do mission well together, we have to talk about the basics and growing in Christ. In other words, once you listen to this message or any other message uh, of ours, or once you come into an in-person gathering at the church campus and then you leave our building. What is life with God as a Christian supposed to look like day by day? 
And there's all kinds of ideas about what things are supposed to look like for me as a Christian or for you as a Christian. And for some people, they can come to our church or another church. And I think this is actually a really big pervasive problem at churches all over America, probably all over the world. But for some people, they can come to church and then they walk out of the church building or they turn off the device where they're watching the service or the sermon and they they got their little shot of Jesus for the week. They got their little boost, but it has no real connection to the rest of their life. There's no commitment or passion to live out a life of faith that is righteous. It's just about knowing a few more tidbits or facts about God or the Bible or something in Greek or Hebrew or some background material. It's just about learning. It's not about living it out. And if you ask somebody like that, how would you define your Christian walk? They might say, well, I read the Bible and I go to church. And that's great. We should do that. But the problem is that we know from Scripture that Satan does that too. Seriously, Satan quotes the Scriptures in the Scriptures. He quotes the Scriptures and he twists the Scriptures to his own ends. And people do that too. Don't you think our spiritual maturity should be a little more than the devil's? That there should at least be a little distance between where he's at and where we're at? Like a little bit of a, of a gap, some space there? And so... What are we using to define our spiritual existence? That's the question. And that's the conversation we're going to dive into today. So today I'm going to introduce you to something that I think is really critical for us to understand. And it's just an introduction to this new series called Growing in Christ. And I like, like I mentioned before, I think this will be a different type of sermon than what we've been used to. I think for like the, the last year or two, we've been, if you've been part of our community or following along from somewhere around the world uh, online, um, I'm going to use a lot of different scripture today from a lot of different places. So it's going to be a topical series instead of just like a, rooted in a, a particular letter or a particular book, book of the Bible. It's going to be all over the place. Um, so I want to begin in a really important place, which is Matthew 22, verse 36, which says this. Teacher, which is the great command? Which is, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command, commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he says the whole thing depends on these two. Now here's the question. They only asked him to give them one commandment, but he gives them two. And the question is why? Well, here's why. Because you cannot separate loving God and loving people. One directly affects the other, and, and it goes in both directions. You can't separate loving God and loving people. Loving God will always lead you towards deeper and more meaningful relationships with people. Now, I want to jump to another verse here in John 13, uh, verse 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We touched on this verse last week. Personally, from my, from my own personal experience, I grew up in a church where they valued studying the Word of God, like Bible study classes from like little kids on up, and education, and it was really good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that the people who taught me that, people who were part of that, they would walk out into the world and be jerks. And over time, that became a big disconnect for me. And it's still basically the thing that makes me the most upset. When I see people who say they follow Jesus and they are learning all about God, and then they walk out into the world and they act like jerks. And then they act like jerks with other Christians within their own church family. 
uh, it really it really makes me mad. And so what I've seen happen over the years to people like me who grew up in a similar similar situation to that, which is basically a lot of people. I mean, I've met hundreds of people in West Seattle and in Seattle and in the Pacific Northwest who grew up with some sort of scenario like that, and they no longer go to church because of that scenario I just described. And those those who have stayed in the church, like me, to some degree, have overreacted to what they experienced when they were younger, maybe what they experience even now. And what I mean by that is they now say, it's all about love, it's all about grace, it's all about, it's all about that. But where I've landed now is here, maybe it's that both sides have carried the steps a little bit too far. It's all about love on one side, and it's all about study and education, maybe rules and boundaries and being right on the other. But both sides have carried this too far, I think. And so I want to try to invite you into a new possibility. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus says is the world is going to know uh, who you live for and who you serve based on how you love each other. That's the truth. That is the word of God. However, we're going to have to put proper boundaries on that love and understand how that love actually works. Because love is just thrown around flippantly these days. In order for us to love people well, we have to understand it a little better. Where do we learn these boundaries from uh, and where do they come from? Well, they come from the Word of God. You can't be like, look, I don't even know the Word of God. That's the preacher's job. Uh, I just need to love people. You can't do that. That's not, that's not the answer either. I've met a lot of Christians who take that route and they end up giving a lot of people really bad advice in the name of love. And in the name of love, they end up hurting a lot of other people. Here's another scripture along these lines from 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, it says, we lie and do not practice the truth. We are liars. So yeah, me and God, we're, we're simpatico, we're tight, but your life is a train wreck because you're sinning constantly and intentionally and basically without concern for ever being anything other than someone who's going to sin all the time. So that, that doesn't mean we don't all sin. That's not what I'm trying to say. But if you have no concern for righteous living, but you claim to be a Christian, then you're a liar. You're a liar. That's what the Bible says. It goes on to say in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, now, the word it says the word fellowship there. The word fellowship there is not about coming to church and the pastor or the priest makes you all shake hands in between the worship songs and when they start preaching or go into the fellowship hall to have a potluck. That's not what fellowship means. Fellowship means the people who are on your team, no matter what. It means the people who have your back, who would go without something that they have so that, that you could have what you need. It's when everybody else has left, they are still there, like Sam Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings. It's when your world falls apart. And whoever's on your short list, the first five calls or texts that you're going to make, that is what we're talking about when we talk about fellowship. Those are those people. And John says here in this passage that that kind of fellowship, that is the evidence that we are walking in the light. So if you can't point to five people that you could call at like 3 a.m., maybe you need to reevaluate what it means to be in relationship with other people. Here's another one from James. James uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? Answer, no. Now, some of you who've grown up in church might say that's works righteousness, meaning that you're saying that doing good works is what saves you instead of grace. And that's not, that's not what I'm saying. 
but this is what the word of God says right here in James 2. This is what it says. Faith, faith without works is dead. Now, can the works save you? No. But a faith that leads to action can. A faith that doesn't lead to action can't save you. A faith that leads to action is where the scriptures ask us to land. That is the sweet spot. It's where we live. You can't have a faith that doesn't do anything. You can claim to have faith all day long, but if your life does not support it, then it is just words coming out of your mouth. He goes on to say, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. I mean, like, I'll pray for you when you're having a problem. You know, without giving the things they need for their body, what good is that, James says. So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. You can talk about what you believe all day long, but I can tell you this. Anybody uh, should be able to look at your life and know what you stand for. Before you ever open your mouth and speak what you believe, they, are to, they, are, they should be able to look at your life and know what you stand for. That's just the way it is, and here's why. Let's put it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is faith? It's a huge deal. It's a 10, right? But I want to share with you a fascinating verse it's actually mind-boggling if you take it to mean what it really says. I think what it literally says in 1 Corinthians 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide or remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. What does that literally say? Faith, hope, and love abide, but love is greater than faith and hope. Did you catch that? Paul says that the greatest is love. Faith and hope are critical. On a scale of 1 to 10, they are 10s. But love is more important than the other two. Love goes to 11. Paul says here that treating people more correctly is more important than faith. What? Okay, now chill out. We're not running out on faith here. What, we have, what you have to understand is you cannot speak words about your faith, about what you believe without being willing to walk it out. Does that make sense? Now, that being said, you need to understand that love, like I said before, love is just kind of this flippant term now that's just thrown around about everything and anything. Love is not just blind acceptance. Love is not just open tolerance of everything out there. Love isn't just open tolerance of everything out there. It's not I just love you. Everything's grace. It's okay to each his own. Your thing is your thing. My thing is my thing. Whatever, man. That is not love. Let me put it this way. If my eight-year-old told me that she could drive and she wants to drive and she grabs my keys and walks out the front door and she tells me she's going to drive over to his friend's house, am I going to be like, cool, I love you. Yeah. Oh, grace, I accept that. That's your thing to each his own, right? No, that would be, that would just, that's just idiotic. Nobody would do that. There are things that you do that can hurt you. And if I really love you, I'm going to say something to you, right? For instance, for instance, here's one. There are no successful drug stories. There's no like, oh, so I, I was using meth and it all worked out. No, that story does not exist. So if you're doing something that hurts you and I want to help you and intervene, maybe, uh, because I love you, 
It's not because I want you to be wrong and it's not because I want you to pay for your mistakes. It's because I love you. So now that we've said that, what I want you to realize is that, that the boundaries that make real love what it is, they come from the word of God. Therefore, it's important that we know what the word of God says. So let's take an example along those lines. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And that's the question. How hard should you work at rightly handling the word of truth? What it says here is that you should do your best. And the question for you is this. Do you? Do you? Do your best to rightly handle the word of God. Because this passage is for everyone. It is for you. It's for anyone who says they follow Jesus. It is not just for pastors like me. I don't know where you land with your answer. It's a conversation you need to have between you and the Lord. But do we do our best? Do you do your best to rightly handle the word of God? Here's another one from Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in our church, we have different leaders. Leadership is important because we need to learn good, healthy uh, authority and how to submit to that. Like we have that tension in our lives where we say, I want to be in charge of my own world. And then we're like, oh, wait, oh, yeah. God's in charge. And so there's this conversation to be had there about authority. And in case you're getting all bent out of shape about these words like authority and submit, let me say this before you turn this off. This is something I've said before, and I want to say it again, because so many people's experience um, has been the opposite of this. But the purpose of good biblical leadership and authority is about serving others. Leaders who have authority should be about serving others in order to build people up. It has always been about building people up, not about putting people under their thumb. Why? Well, it says going on in that verse in Ephesians, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And what that means is that real faith should lead us toward one another, not at odds with one another. Because unity, having unity doesn't mean uniformity. And I want you to catch that. I want you to stop and think about it for a second. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that we're all the same, like how Lord Business in the Lego movie wants everybody to act the same and do everything by the rules. It's not that. Real biblical unity is diversity that is encircling a common mission and direction. And a certain person who lived that out and showed us that common mission, his name is Jesus. So unity, it's, it's, it's different ideas, it's different cultures, different ethnicities, different upbringings, different political stances. Oh my gosh, yeah, different ones. Different races, different ages, different socioeconomic groups. It is diversity coming together and rallying around a common mission. 
that was centered on an uncommon, miraculous, spectacular Savior. Now, we may have to have a conversation about how we pull the mission off, but it's all of us coming together and rallying around a common mission. That's the unity Paul is talking about. And we may disagree on exactly how we pull it off, but we all agree that this is the right direction for us to go. And we're in it together and we have each other's backs in that. And you might be like, look, dude, like I can't go to a church like that. I can't go to a church where people are different than me and they think different than me and they vote different than me. To which I would say, you know, like if you're not married, how are you ever going to get married? And if you are married, how are you still married? <laughs> because what we're talking about here is simple. This is about relationships. This is the way relationships work. We find principles and things that we give our lives to that are more important than our individual kind of petty druthers and ideas. Well, Paul goes on to say, to mature in our manhood and our adulthood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he says, we're given, we are given people within the context of our community who have leadership gifts for the purpose of not being taken advantage of spiritually. For the purpose of us not being taken advantage of spiritually. And he goes on and says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we speak the truth in love, but what are we supposed to do with that? We speak the truth in love so that we grow up. The truth in love is not spoken so that spiritual children can stay spiritual children. Speaking the truth in love is fighting for one another, fighting for another person, for community members, for their spiritual maturity. You're fighting for that. And even sometimes even when they don't want to grow up, you're fighting for them to grow up. In other words, you want them to grow even more than they want to grow. So you're willing to speak truth into their life. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ is what it says. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we have all these leadership people in leadership with gifts of leadership to help us foster our faith so that we can be mature, so that we can love well. That is the whole process. Let me say it again. We have these leadership gifts to help us foster our faith so that we can be more mature, so that we can love well. Here's another scripture that fleshes this out even more from Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. What, is, what are you supposed to do in the faith? What does that say? We're supposed to mature. Why? Because healthy things grow. Which begs the question, if you're not maturing in your faith, then there's something not healthy in there. Now, we all have desert seasons and droughts and kind of plateaus in our walk of faith. So there are periods of time that are valleys. I'm not saying that you're not going to have that and that you should always be growing at every single moment. That would be awesome. But 
I think there are these valleys that are part of our journey so that we can better appreciate when there's these mountaintops where we're, we've grown a lot and we recognize it. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that the general trajectory of our faith is that we should be maturing in Christ always. So we've laid the groundwork here. There's this foundation and a framework for growth. We are called to love, but love is not just blind acceptance. Love is about us inviting one another towards true spiritual maturity. We see that in and through the person of Jesus. He loves everyone, but he's always calling people to spiritual, true spiritual maturity. He even says, don't do this, do that several times. Hope that makes sense because it's a big deal and it's the launch pad for everything we're going to talk about in the next several weeks. So I'm going to leave it here right right about here today and just show you a little sneak peek, a graph that illustrates uh, the launch pad I'm, I'm talking about when it comes to true spiritual growth in, in God, in Christ. Jesus calls us to relationship with God and relationship with others going all the way back to where we started today in Matthew 22 when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, when he said you need to love God with all your heart, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the graph. This is Jesus' definition of spiritual maturity, right? And, and so spiritual growth should be our continued ability to grow in both of these areas, which we would illustrate like this. So what we're talking about here is this. Maturity is an increased depth in your capacity to have relationship with other people and an increased depth in your capacity with your relationship with God. It's an increased depth. It is not an increased width. And, and that's where we're going to stop today. Next week, we'll add some more color to this and talk about our relational energy and our capacity for going deeper in relationships, but not necessarily wider. And I'll tell you what that means next week. We'll tie uh, into this process, uh, we'll get into this process just a little bit uh, further in terms of discipleship and kind of strain it through the grid of our values as a church, which are be like Jesus, do this together for the sake of others with generosity. But there's a process. And I want you to check back in with me next week as we get, as we get into this and we tackle that and we illustrate it even further and we talk about kind of give you some handholds and talk about how to live this faith out. So until then, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church Online. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.